Welcome to my podcast, Musings of a Christian Philosopher, where we talk about deep and often challenging topics of theology and philosophy. I'm your host, Adam Polstra. Let's get started. Hello, everybody. Back again after about a three-week break. Sorry about the unannounced break, but one of the people who did not know that that was going to happen was yours truly. A lot of chaos around the holiday time. Uh, Family business, as I talked about before, is in food, and there was a lot to do. I hardly had time even to think, but now here I am back to thinking. So what have I been thinking about lately? I have been thinking about gratitude. And this is not without theme. I, of course, we, of course, just went through the Thanksgiving holiday, and I have been thinking about thankfulness itself, or gratitude. And specifically what I've been thinking about is what I would call the gratitude killers. How is it that people can become so entirely pessimistic? How is it that they can see no gratitude? In some cases, that would seem very obvious. People who've gone through hell on earth. Raised by horrible people, they don't really have many good friends, school sucked, jobs sucked. On and on and on it goes. Just everything's bad. Everything. And as far as the optimists, for some people, again, it seems rather obvious. They have it, have had a good life, good parents, good schools, etc., etc., on and on. But... If that was the fact, if it simply followed that whatever people experience uh, is going to result in whether they are a pessimist or an optimist, whether they are uh, whether they have gratitude or no gratitude whatsoever, well, then it would be pretty cut and dry, and it would entirely be based around circumstance, whether or not a person becomes positive, positively inclined or negatively inclined, and thankfully. The world is a little more complicated than that. We have around us, probably every single one of us, has met somebody who has had it really bad. Maybe some of the worst of anybody you've ever met. And in spite of that, they're very positive. They love life. Yeah, they probably went through a good spell of their lives where they were pretty crappy people. They were very negative and didn't see any light at the end of any tunnels, all they saw was darkness. But at some point, they started reaching out, and maybe they went to therapy, maybe they started getting a new set of people around them. Maybe they had to separate from the people of their past, probably both, in some cases. And now you know them, and they are extremely positive, happy, have good relationships. They tend to see the silver linings in life. And of course, quite plainly, and I think this is even more common, you have those who, in many ways, had a very good upbringing. And at least as far as we can tell, maybe this is you, had very good circumstances, plenty of reasons to be positive, and yet they are extremely negative, very pessimistic. And of course, this is the side that I want to focus on. What is it that kills gratitude? Why is it that people, some people at least, seem to be very inclined to be pessimistic, to be unthankful in life? 
And I wanted to start with the people who have very obvious reasons to be that way, for the simple reason that I don't want to disrespect people who have had it very hard. There's plenty of sympathy for, there should be, honestly, plenty of sympathy for people who've had a very hard life. But I wanted also to go through the fact that that does not make people pessimistic. Just as good circumstances don't make people optimistic. It's not a mere given out of circumstance. So yes, what is it that tilts some people towards pessimism? Well, for me, this leans very heavily into theology, as a matter of fact. If the Christians have it right, and obviously as a Christian myself, I think this is the case, the original design of creation of our reality as a whole was essentially perfection. It was supposed to be a, uh, a reality of essentially no negatives at all, or at least anything that we would call negatives in a perfect world. Maybe it's possible that things like injuries or uh, negative happenstance or what we today would call negative happenstance could have still been possible. It's hard to say. But if everything was essentially perfect, people were immortal, um, as seems to have been the case originally. And uh, they probably, even if they got injured, they may have healed very easily. Or maybe their skill was so great that even though injury was theoretically possible, they never would have sustained it. It's hard to say. We don't even know how the world was in a theological perspective, if, you be, if you're to believe Genesis rather literally, which I generally am inclined in that direction. Anyway, the main point being, again, that the, the original design was that things were supposed to go well. And this is not the first time that I've forayed in this particular direction, but I'm trying to expand my thoughts. But as far as that which I've talked about before, which is again in my book, if reality was supposed to be from the beginning perfect, then knowing or seeing in modern day that quite obviously things are not perfect, then we're going to have an inborn instinct that things are not the way they're supposed to be. And this really highlighted for me originally when a friend of mine was talking to a group of people, or to a couple of guys who were running a sound booth in a church. I know this is quite a segue. Anyway, we were at a production in a, a big church in general, but in one of their smaller rooms. And, you know, there were some guys in the sound booth, not just running the sound, but running general electronics, lights, that kind of thing, as typically they do in a church. Just like in a... Um, theater, well, not movie theater, but like stage, that kind of thing, as far as I understand it. Anyway, and my friend was just kind of chatting them up and, you know, talking about the fact that they do did a good job and so on, and they were kind of taken aback, I assume, by his even pointing that out because their next response went a little something like this. Yeah, it's pretty much our job to not get noticed. In fact, if we're noticed, it's probably because we did something wrong. Well, yes, of course. So think about that in context. Let's say that you're going to the theater. It doesn't have to be a church, but some production, some play maybe. And if everything goes swimmingly, then the people behind the scenes, the people who tear down and then reset stage pieces, the people who are running lights and sound and so on and so forth, if that all goes according to plan, do, do you really think about those people? 
Do you really think about the people in the backdrop? Do you really think about people controlling the knobs? Now, on the other hand, if things go wrong, how much do you think about the people who are responsible for those parts of the production? For the sound, for the lights? You're probably going to start thinking about what on earth is happening. And if you're particularly upset, you might think, who is the one messing this up? And who do I tell of my disappointment? And this started me thinking along these lines. Why is it that we have a tendency only to notice when things go in a certain way when they are going wrong? Well, that is because our expectation is that they will go according to plan. If that extends to reality as a whole, which, again, as a Christian, you might say I'm obliged to think, but I really do think that this parallels very well and very objectively. If we have a sense that things are supposed to go perfectly, that things are not supposed to, in the original plan, go towards chaos, destruction, death, pain, etc., then we are going to be inclined to see when it does not occur. Sorry, when perfection does not occur. We are being going to be inclined to see when there is pain and death and so on. So in other words, what I'm getting at is that all we need to essentially be is lazy to be pessimists. Now, there's going to be an inborn instinct in many of us that we should be happy, we should be content, we should be pleased, we should be satisfied. And if pessimism has a tendency to make us not that way, then we're also going to have a somewhat inborn instinct towards optimism. But the fact of the matter is, it is going to take effort to some extent to be optimistic, and all it really takes is laziness to be pessimistic. Now, if somebody has a goal, say a politician or somebody in the media, a goal to disable people, to make them lethargic, to make them disconnected, to dissuade them from living responsibly, and so on, then all they really have to do is push us towards that which we already are inclined to sink to. Pessimism. If, say, people in the news can just keep reporting to us things that are bad and wrong and painful and horrible and on and on and on, and we latch on to that, then we have fallen right into their trap. A little bit more on that later. Now, it may seem a little bit surprising at first, especially if you aren't inclined towards theology or belief in God, for me to say that pessimism is simply laziness. But pay attention further to what it does. If a person is pessimistic, generally lazy, for example, if they do not think that getting a good job is really worth it because who cares about making money, the inflation is too high, who cares about going to the to a job? Most employers are jerks, and coworkers are not really cooperative. It's just a bad environment. 
and so on and so forth. If people have convinced themselves, in other words, that to work is just nasty, how likely are they to work? And this starts to raise a question, the more you see it. But let's continue with the examples. How about people who are pessimistic about relationships? Now, I personally think that all of these environments certainly have many examples of just bad and evil and dark and horrible. Jobs can certainly be that way. Relationships can certainly be that way. So if somebody believes that, yes, human beings are terrible and relationships aren't really worth the effort because people just backstab you and they're mean and selfish and so on and so forth, how likely is that person? to have any relationships at all, and if they do, very quality ones. And if people just think that life sucks in general, that it's not really worth putting much effort into life, how likely are they to just be playing video games, to not really go out much? Or if they do, just maybe to have some kicks, maybe get some food etc. Home's probably a bit of a mess. They don't really talk much. And if you do talk to them, of course, you don't generally want to because what you're going to be getting is a spew of negativity. Now, the question, as I mentioned earlier, that begins to be raised when you see people like this is, what came first, the chicken or the egg? Or in other words, did this person not want to do these things and therefore they latched onto negativity or did they start seeing a negative reality and therefore started becoming lazy? Because I would wager that pretty much anybody that you could ever meet who has a very strong and consistent sense of negativity either is already very generally lazy or is about to be. But which really came first? Did they make up their minds that it's not worth the effort and then the negativity came in, or the other way around? It's a very important question, but it almost is an unimportant question for the purposes of this topic. Because, once again, the result of negativity is unengagement. The result of negativity is, less, is lethargy, detachment not giving much effort. Why would anybody give effort if they think that everything is bad and negative and horrible, not worth the effort? It almost answers itself. If something is not worth the effort, then you're not going to put in the effort. Simple. So yes, I think that there are some people who will, and of course all the all of those who are in this mindset will try to convince you that they didn't first choose to be lazy, they saw the negativity and chose to be lazy. Or as a result, became lazy. Of course they do. I've talked about it many times in this podcast before. People want most to be justified. So if they have chosen a life, or if they are in a lifestyle of laziness, it doesn't matter whether or not the laziness was the start of it, they are going to justify themselves with the negativity. One way or the other, that is exactly what they are going to do. But even if the negativity, theoretically speaking, or hypothetically speaking, if the negativity was the starting point, and then they became lazy, then when they are pressed about it, the negativity buttresses the laziness. 
they continue to support their lifestyle through their negativity and justify themselves. So at some point, the negativity, one way or the other, is the fertilizer of the laziness, of the unengagement, of the crappy relationships. Now here's another area in which negativity, pessimism, is laziness. Pessimism and negativity is arrogant. How do I know that? Well, just think about it. Experientially, this, start, this becomes obvious right off the top. Think of people who you know who are extremely negative. Do you really want to be around them? Do they seem like very humble people? Or do they seem like very arrogant people? Now, of course, that's not exactly an argument. This is not objective. This is just experiential. But it already starts to ingrain the point, I hope. At least it does for me. Negative people are not the kind of people that I want to associate with. Why? Now, here's where it starts to get objective. Do negative people have a, a high moral complex? In other words, do they think themselves to be, again, justified? Not just in the sense of supporting their own lifestyle, but in another sense. Do they consider the, themselves to be good people? Or you could put yourself in those shoes. If you were constantly going around pointing out all the evil and bad in the world, would you consider yourself to be a good person? Yes, of course. Of course you would. Why? Because if you can see all the darkness in the world, then you are an accurate moral judge. Right? If you can correctly identify every bad and negative and horrible thing in the world, then how good are you at identifying evil? And if you are correctly identifying evil, who are you? Well, if you're going to go theological with it, you're God. Or, to go a little bit more humble, you are an entirely accurate metaphysician or philosopher or both. Right? You're right about it all, aren't you? Or this other person is. But depending on whether or not you're that person. You are entirely accurate. You understand all that is dark in the world. And you don't need any more proof that you're good. Right? Do you see, or do you see in yourself... Again, depending on whether or not you are one of these people, do you see in yourself or the, these other people, the negative people, much impetus to try to live consistently with virtue? To strive towards morality and self-improvement? Do you really see them putting forth much effort to be kind to others? Why, why not? I already know the answer. No, they don't. They absolutely do not. Why wouldn't they need to put forth the effort? Because they already have their self-justification in place. They don't need to be humble. They don't need to be justified. They don't need to be good. Because in their own eyes, they already are. Lazy? Of course. Extremely lazy. All you have to do is believe that you can see the darkness in the world and you don't have to be good. 
It's horrible. So, with these arguments in place, what I am saying is that to be pessimistic is not just lazy, it's easy. Now, that seems like a tautology, and to some extent it is. But what I'm really trying to get at is that if it is lazy and it is easy, then it is, in a sense, natural. All you have to do is do nothing. All you have to do is let your guard down. All you have to do is give in to the sense that we already have that things should be perfect, but they're not, and just stay right there. Stay in that sense. Be lazy, be arrogant, be lethargic, go for the path of least resistance, and bippity-boppity-boo, you're a pessimist. Now again, at this juncture, I want to point out again that I am not ignoring the fact that some people have gone through really crappy lives. Absolutely they have. Sympathy for that, for sure. But, even those, once again, who have gone through very good lives, all they have to do is give in to the temptation to be lazy. To take the path of least resistance, to take what is easy, and they too become pessimists. All they have to do is settle for this elitism, thinking that it is the world that must deliver them the goods. And this, by the way, is the ultimate path of those who stop with the things are not perfect, therefore things are not right mental pathway. If all they do is stop there, then who is responsible to change anything? Well, the world, obviously. Obviously. Because the world's supposed to be perfect. The world's supposed to deliver them the goods on a silver platter. Everybody around them, everything around them is supposed to be perfect. It's not, so I'm just going to sit on my butt and wait for the world to get its act together. Of course. Of course. So I'm not going to leave this podcast or this episode just on that note. How do we get out of the easy, lazy path of least resistance, pessimism, and negativity? Well, frankly, we have to put effort out. If I am correct that our instinct is to believe that the world should be perfect, which in a sense is a good instinct, then quite plainly, in a world that obviously is not perfect, we must put forth effort to see the good. So the question is, is the, the first and obvious question is, is the good there? Yes, of course. Theoretically, even, we understand that if evil does exist, then good must also exist as its antithesis. But it's not just theoretical. There are good things that can be found all around us. How about something so basic that it is naturally occurring in the world? An apple. How good is an apple? Some people don't like apples, but just to use this as an example. How good is an apple? For those of us who enjoy apples, they are delicious. Absolutely. Put it. Okay, how about those who don't really like apples, but they love apple pie? 
all you have to do is add in some other things that are naturally occurring in the world. Sugar from pure cane. Wheat that we grow in stalks. A few other elements such as oils that we squeeze out of things. Mix that all together in the right way, form it into a pie, mm -mm -mm, something delicious. Okay, so let's move away from just things that we put in our mouths. How about bodily experiences that are so enjoyable? How about theme parks? How about our first experiences of driving for ourselves? How about sex? How about shows of affection with your significant other, cuddling, kissing? For those of us who are not totally removed from our childhood selves, how about the wonderful feel of putting your hands in sand, feeling it running through your fingers? How about another set of senses, the eyes? If you live in a place where I do, like Colorado, how pleasant is it just to look upon the mountains? If it's, in sp if it's springtime, the flowers. Now, the reason why I'm pulling from these very basic level examples is that it's something that is common to us all. But even I myself, though I had a pretty good upbringing and so on, I had to remember to pay attention to things like flowers and mountains. Another reason why I have this particular belief about our perspective and our natural inclination towards negativity. I, too, in spite of a good upbringing, had to do the same thing that everybody needs to do, which is to take into account the nice things of the world, especially after I had become an adult. To a certain extent, all it really takes is not separating ourselves from our childhood selves. Our childhood selves, because life is new and exciting to us all at that point, because it is literally new, Optimism, seeing the good things, seeing the pleasurable things, really enjoying the pleasurable things, is extremely easy. Because it's novel. But just because it ceases being novel doesn't mean that it ceases to be good. And if we have grown up in a crappy situation, again, we know from the examples of those who have gotten out of pessimism and out of darkness, that it is possible to establish good relationships, good jobs, good incomes, etc., etc. And the reason why I bring this up is that is to point out that the more complex goods are accessible. They are out there. They are reachable. It may take a great deal of sacrifice for some of us to get there, which is unfortunate. And I agree, it ought not be the case. But it's possible. Those who really want it, those who desire it enough to seek it, find it. I've seen this more than once. So yes, we have to put out effort. We have to remind ourselves of what is good. We have to remind ourselves of what is pleasurable. We have to actually seek it if we are going to have that mindset. And we also have to be humble. Once again, those who essentially th see themselves on a pinnacle, they are the correct moral judges. They don't need to know much else. They already know enough. Of course, they see all the evil in the world. And they probably think they're pretty freaking smart too. What more is there to learn?
The arrogant perspective is also a perspective of stagnancy. That's not the first time that I've presented that point in this podcast. So by contrast, to be humble also means to be explorative, to seek new good things, to recognize that not only don't you know everything, not only is it the fact that you don't know everything and you are not always right, but the very fact that you don't know everything and the very fact that you're not always right is extremely exciting because that means that you can in fact improve. That means that there are more good things out there that you can discover. It means that there are better relationships out there that you can establish or good ones that you already have can be improved. Humility is breeding grounds for optimism. Humility is breeding grounds for positivity. Humility is breeding grounds for growth. Again, second time I've said it at least in this podcast. Optimism, seeing the good in life, seeing the silver linings, is humble, is a staging point for growth, for increase. Even making more money, absolutely. Becoming better parents, becoming better friends. Now, I'm not saying that we should be pie-in-the-sky, by-and-by sort of people. Just because optimism, positivity, and so on is humble and and is a sign of growth and so on and so forth doesn't mean that's all we should ever do all the time. Because once again, the very reason why we have this conflict is because the world, at least in my perspective, is not perfect as it should be. That means that there are legitimately bad things that we do have to deal with. So a negative perspective, calling a thing evil, is still deeply important. And this is one of the reasons why the church is failing so badly in some areas. Or sorry, some churches. Because they refuse to pay any attention, to give any credence, to give any face time to the fact that things out there are actually bad, evil, dark, and horrible. And if they do that, they have cut off their own noses that they may not be able to smell the shit, essentially. In other words, they cut off their very capacity to sense things in order to believe in their own mixed-up minds that nothing is ever bad, ever. I'm not talking about naivete. What I'm talking about is the fact That if we want to be effective in the world, and if we want to not be lazy, and if we we do not want to give into the path of least resistance, then optimism is the only way we can go. Optimism in general is how we have to live. What it takes to get there is going to be different based on each individual story. For me, I am thankful and I do not take it for granted that I didn't have to push very hard because I did have a good upbringing and good circumstances. But what I am saying is that optimism, positivity, and so on is in fact the route of bravery. It is the route of strength. Of course it is. If you have taken my argument and agree with it, that negativity and pessimism is laziness, is the path of least resistance, then clearly it is the coward's path. 
if you don't have to work at all to quote unquote prove that you're a good person, is that the path of the strong or the weak? Is that the path of the adventurous or the lazy? If it takes effort to remind ourselves of what is actually good and present, always there, always has been there, always will be there, if it takes effort to do it, is that the path of the lazy? No, no, no. Those who are already pessimists, those are who are, are already angry, depressed, and so on, are the ones who tend to tell us that optimism is merely pie in the sky by and by, and we're just ignoring things, and whatever. They try to insult us for being positive, at least most of the time. Why do they want to do that? Well, they clearly have not shown, at least as yet, any desire to be positive, to be adventurous, to be strong, and so on. You think they're going to be very happy when they see people around them who are willing to be positive, who are willing to be optimistic? Of course not. It pisses them off. So what are they going to try to do? Pull you down to their level? Of course. They already want to see themselves as morally, morally superior, so if they see somebody who is actually morally superior, what do they have to do? Pull you down. So they can continue to be the moral, morally superior ones. They're perfectly happy to bring in more quote-unquote morally superior people who are just as pessimistic, lazy, and frankly stupid as they are, because then neither of you have to put any effort into anything. But if you choose to be optimistic, to grow, to be humble, then you are a threat to them. Insofar as they continue to be unwilling to change. The only reason why optimism gets insulted is because people who hate the smell of flowers try to pull us away from, doing, from smelling the flowers ourselves. If you want to be strong, you must be optimistic. So the reason, in conclusion, why it is easy for us to become pessimistic is because all people have to do is convince us to do nothing. That's all I had for us today. Hope that brings, as always, a lot to think about and a lot of good. Until next time.